Our church has several events or things that go on on a pretty routine basis. Things that happen pretty much every month. Think of things like choir rehearsal and Bible studies and luncheons and things like that. So yesterday, when we had our church planning event there in the back, it got to a point where I decided instead of going through every single one of those every single month and every single day, I decided that as we got through the months, I would just call out those pretty regular activities and just kind of very quickly remind people of them. And as I did that, as I'd say choir rehearsal, as I'd say uh, uh, luncheons, newsletter deadline, United Methodist Women, United Methodist Men, and on and on and on, I noticed that most people decided that their pencils could not keep up with my mouth. And they decided that they would fill in the details later. Now, to my, to my defense, for those of you who are there, I was merely following in the structure and idea of our good friend Mark. Now, when you read the book of Mark, you should notice that this story that Mark is telling develops very quickly. Mark has a story to tell, and he's got to hurry up and tell it. And because he does that, sometimes he moves along pretty quickly, and details can get lost. One of Mark's favorite words seems to be immediately. And Mark tells us that once Jesus was baptized by John, he is immediately shipped off to the wilderness by the Spirit of God. He then begins his public ministry. He goes out and finds some disciples who, keeping pace with Mark, respond immediately to that call. So Mark tells the story very fast, and we're expected to kind of keep up. But like our friends at yesterday's meeting, sometimes in the rapid telling of the story, we can forget some of the details or some of the questions that may be important for us. For example, we, the passage we read begins by Mark telling us that John, John the Baptist, was arrested. That after John was arrested, Jesus began preaching. Now, if I'm reading that, I'm asking myself a couple of questions. When was John arrested? By whom was John arrested? Why was John arrested? And even what happened to John afterwards? Or take these would-be disciples. You remember last week when we read from John's account of Jesus finding disciples, it almost feels like Jesus knew exactly where to go to find Philip. But here, we don't know that. So does Jesus know these disciples, would-be disciples? Do they know him? Have they heard him preach before? Do, do they know of his reputation? Does their father, Zebedee, does he know about Jesus? Do they know what happened to John? Does their father even know what happened to John? Now, these questions, these details can be good for us to consider and to talk about, make for good conversation and good things we can take from our faith, but they don't seem to matter to Mark very much at all. What matters to Mark is this. And since Mark doesn't use very many details, when he does give us details, we should pay attention. And I think what matters to Mark is that Jesus began preaching. Right? What did Jesus preach? 
Mark tells us. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news of God. That's what Jesus begins to preach, which is almost probably like an essay for Mark who's used to telling these very quick parts of the story, this big run-on, run-on long sentence that he has from Jesus. But that is the details we have about what Jesus began to preach. But even in that, repent and believe in the good news of God. Even in that, we're missing a detail. What is the good news of God? Mark begins his letter by saying, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus. What's the good news? He never tells us. It's almost like he assumes we already know. And indeed, friends, as he's writing, I kind of think he understands that we already know. Now, we we understand and recognize that Mark is writing to a particular audience, particular time, under particular circumstances. And so he can't assume that the people reading and hearing his story know the good news of God. But us today, we are in a particular time, in a particular place and circumstance, And we can't always assume that all of us know the good news of God. So let me ask you, what is the good news of God? Okay. Okay. Probably a lot of answers you could find. Maybe the part of our communion liturgy, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. That sounds like good news. Probably a lot of different answers you can have that you can generate about what the good news, what the gospel is of God. But I want to give you a small definition of things that will be helpful for us today. The good news of God is what God has done and what God is doing in Christ's name for all of us. The good news of God is what God has done and what God is doing in Christ's name for all, all of us. That is the good news of God. That is the assumption that Mark thinks we have. Now, friends, that good news is good news indeed. That good news brings salvation to God's people. That good news brings hope. It brings forgiveness. It brings newness of life. It brings God's people together. It brings peace to our brokenness. That good news of God, the things that God has already done and the things that God is doing right now in Christ's name brings hope to all of us. And it doesn't matter whether you feel blessed or not, because of what God has done, you are blessed. Y'all with me? That is the good news of God. Because of what God has already done, you and I are already blessed. And that good news is something worth living for. That good news is something that is powerful, more powerful than anything else in the world. That good news is the same good news that Jesus calls us to repent, to 
turn away from what we thought the good news was and to believe in what God has done and is doing in Christ's name for all of us. Y'all with me? It's the good news. It's the good news of God that we want to celebrate. It's the good news of God that brings peace. It's the good news of God that makes some of us want to shout. But it's easy, isn't it, to talk about good news on Sunday morning. Now, let's be real with each other. Y'all not talking at all. Y'all sitting in the pew listening to me talk about good news. But it's easy to do that, isn't it? Amen? You see how easy that was? I can get you to say amen. Amen? Did it again. I could choose your favorite hymn. A hymn you've been singing since Lord knows when. A hymn that when you sing it, or a song that when you sing it, you feel the closest to God. We can sing that today. But can you say amen by yourself on Monday morning? Can you repent and believe in the good news of God on Tuesday? Let's say you wake up Wednesday morning and the news you hear is that John the Baptist has just been arrested. What about then? Now, what does that mean for us, John the Baptist being arrested? John the Baptist is dead. We know that, but understand what Mark is trying to communicate to us. We can ask whether these would-be disciples knew about John, whether he had been arrested. And we can ask whether their father, Zebedee, knew. Put yourself in Zebedee's shoes as a father. Some guy comes walking along, walking along and says, hey, I want your kids or your best workers. You're going to let some guy who's been associated with some people being sent to prison, you're going to let your kids run off with him? Probably not. But it doesn't seem to bother Mark whether the disciples or Zebedee knew about John. That doesn't seem to be important to him. What seems to be important to him is whether you and I know that John has been arrested. Because we know the rest of the story. And we will quickly find out if we don't remember the story that what happened to John is really a foreshadow of what's about to happen to Jesus and what may even happen to us. Now, let's be real for a second. None of us run the risk of being arrested because we believe in God. Don't believe everything you read on the Internet. But there are places and there are people that do face that. But at the center of the world, at least we can, we can understand and we can agree on, that while we may not be arrested for our belief, nonetheless, discipleship is not easy. Saying you believe in God, that's easy. Going to church, that's easy. But discipleship is not easy. Because at the center of our world stands the good news of God. 
at the center of our world stands what God has done and what God is doing in Christ's name for all of us. But around that good news is all that mess we call life. Around the good news is all that evil we know of. It's all that despair we see. Around the good news of God is all that hurt we feel and pain we know, anger we have, disappointment we've seen and experienced. Around the good news of God is the hopelessness we can feel, the addictions we face, loss of jobs, marriages torn apart, Family members divided. Around the good news of God are all those things that would stand to keep us away from God. And so you can kind of hear Mark saying that the good news is there and all the other stuff is around there. Are you willing and are you able to still believe in the good news of God even with all that stuff around you. That's what seems to matter to Mark. Because discipleship is not easy. It's hard. There's a lot of things that would take us away from our discipleship. There's a lot of things that would want to keep us from expressing our love of God to growing in our faith in God. Are you willing to believe anyway? Now, this story seems to be a bright spot for the disciples. At least as Mark tells the story, as he rapidly finishes up his story, the disciples, they don't always come across as being all together with it. They say dumb things. They do dumb things. In fact, They're kind of dumb sometimes. But I appreciate that about Mark's gospel because that mirrors my own discipleship sometimes. Y'all with me? But there's a detail that Mark doesn't include in his telling of the story. He's trying to get through the details real quick. He has a story to tell. But he doesn't tell us that those disciples, those dumb disciples sometimes, He doesn't tell us how they transformed the world. He doesn't tell us how those people who repented, believed in the good news, dropped their nets and followed God, were able to transform the world. And then there's us. See, we're trying to fill in the details of what we're going to do together trying to write in our calendar the things that we feel like God is calling us to do. And as we are rushed to do that, as we are rushed to try to figure that out, we can forget something as well. We can forget the consideration that Mark has for us as well, that we, as people who will repent today, as people who will believe in the good news of God today, will wake up doing it again tomorrow, and will want to do it again on Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, we made it over the hump day and we're going to do it again. 
And if I don't feel like it, I'm going to call one of you to help me do it on Friday. And we'll meet all together again next week. But we'll do it again. But us who have repented, who have believed in the good news, us who are willing to throw down our nets and follow God, the consideration Mark has for us is what will we do to transform the world as well. Let's pray together. Oh God, you have spoken to our heart this morning. You have given us that call, which we have heard again, to follow you. God, you have shown us that that calling can be difficult. Forgive us when we've made that calling out to be something about us. When we've tried to make your call fit our needs. Help us this day to hear you and to follow you more faithfully. Help us put aside those things that are keeping us from serving you and from loving you more. And make this day a new day for our hearts and for our faith as we immediately follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.